Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. I want to sort of lay a bit of a foundation this weekend for the idea of communication. We did so weekend before last, and we're continuing in this theme together. And there are two basic truths that I want to share with you today. Now, by the way, uh, Nick kept us a little longer than normal last weekend, so I'm going to go a little shorter this weekend. Is that okay? Uh, So you'll get out a little earlier. Maybe you'll like me more than Nick if I do that, all right? Uh, But that uh, notwithstanding, let's dive into today's message. Here's the first thing that I want to share with you out of the two things for this weekend. Number one, we learn from Scripture and we learn from practical experience of life that the characteristics of our communication will determine the quality of our relationships. It's a long statement. Let me break it apart for you. The characteristics, that is what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it is. When you talk about the characteristics of something, it's the nature of it. When you look at it, this is what you see. When you listen to it, this is what you hear. So the characteristics of our communication, the way we communicate, what our communication looks like and sounds like is going to determine to a large degree what the quality of every relationship in your life. So if you're going to improve your relationships, what must you improve? Your communication. And this is extremely clear in Scripture. It's also clear, as I said a moment ago, just from practical life experience. So we're talking about how to actually do this. Let me give you a graph to show you sort of how relationships often work. I'm going to use this uh, red mark in the middle as being sort of the status quo of a relationship. Things are not really uh, going necessarily bad nor good. And by the way, I'll mention this, no relationship will ever stay at status quo. It's either moving better or worse. So you're never going to be static in a relationship. Every day of a relationship is different, and every day of a relationship you're moving toward health or dysfunction. Just You can't stay still in a relationship. And so in a relationship, you'll be always going in one of two directions. In the negative direction, you'll head toward killing the relationship. And there are a lot of relationships that we describe as being dead. The marriage is dead. We use that phrase at times. This friendship is dead. That is something or events over time have killed the passion, killed the relationship. Now, by the way, let me quickly add, as believers in Jesus Christ, we know that no dead thing is, that's not the end of deadness because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The deadest marriage can come back to life through the power of Jesus. Amen? He is the resurrection and the life. But nevertheless, we can do things that kill or destroy our relationships. On On the other hand, To this degree, from a positive standpoint, we can do things that create a vibrant, life-giving relationship. There's life in our interactions, life in our marriage, life in our family. So in any relationship, you're moving in one of these directions all the time. You're either killing it, it's dying, or you're working on it, it's improving and moving toward vibrancy or toward death. If a relationship is moving in this direction, you need to intervene and intervene quickly so that you do not allow it to gain negative momentum and completely be destroyed. If it is improving, you need to add momentum to the improving of the relationship so it continues to be vibrant. If it's a vibrant relationship, you need to work well to maintain it so that that health can be strong. Now, what makes the difference between death and 
vibrancy in a relationship. A variety of things, but there's one primary thing the Bible says will make the difference in death or life in a relationship, and that is your, your words. Look at Proverbs with me. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 21, the Bible says what you say can mean life or death. Those who speak with care will be rewarded. So the Bible is very clear that your words are either taking your relationship toward death or taking your relationship toward Life. And if you want to resurrect a dead relationship or a dying, resur- a dying relationship, if you want to Im- continue to improve a relationship that's moving perhaps already in the right direction, the focus needs to be upon your words, or let's broaden it a bit, upon your communication. Because you improve the quality of your communication, that's going to affect the quality of your relationship. Now, I'm going to share with you eight words or eight terms today that will kill any relationship. The reason I'm giving you the negative is because if you understand the negative, then you'll then be able to apply the positive to it. So let's walk through quickly eight things. All I want to do today is to sort of prompt your thinking as I give you these phrases that that you'll think about your own relationships in life. The first thing that'll kill a relationship is coldness. You've gotten to the place where you've just shut down the relationship. There's almost no communication at all. And in fact, what you feel in those moments is the silent treatment. There's more silence than there is real interaction. And so there's a coldness. There's a sense of rejection and abandonment. And relationships can get to that point. That's when they're at a place of dying or perhaps even dead. Then there's disrespect and what we would call contemptuousness. That is, we show scorn toward the other person. In our communication, we are continually putting them down or using sarcasm and cutting remarks. And that's the characteristic of our interaction. Or a relationship can be very contentious. That is, there's a lot of fighting going on. There's more fighting than there is peace. And while there may be moments of peace, you know that a fight is about to break out at any moment. It's sort of like a hockey game. You know they're playing hockey now, but a fight's going to happen pretty soon here. Okay. And the same is true in a lot of marriages, that everything is just sort of sitting on edge because we know that a fight is about to happen soon because it happens all the time. There's contention, interaction that is negative, quick to argue. Arguments are part of the interaction relationship. And then blaming and shaming, where we get to that point that we're not accepting responsibility for our contribution to problems in the relationship, and we're blaming the other person or shaming them. They should be doing better. He should be a better husband. She should be a better wife. He or she should be a better parent. And we shame people and blame people. And that all that does is add death to the relationship. It begins to kill and destroy our interactions. And then, of course, there is criticism and condescension, putting someone down, looking down on them, judgment that we have, that we hold toward other people. Oftentimes there's this demanding behavior that occurs and demanding things out of another person that they're not able to give or willing to give at a moment. And so when that, when that demanding occurs, we begin to invade the boundaries that we talked about a few weeks ago. And anytime you're, at, you're, you're operating out of a demanding attitude, you don't draw people to you, you actually push people away. The very opposite occurs out of a demanding spirit. 
Here's the next one I want to talk about just for a few moments. Mind reading. This is a big one. This is what we do to other people all the time. We think that we can read their mind. We know what we think we know what they're thinking. We think we know what they're feeling. We think we know what their motives are. And so we take what we think we know about them and we project it onto them without them having an opportunity to communicate what's really going on in their life. And so we form our opinions based upon what we determine in our own thinking really applies to them. And so that creates all kinds of problems. It creates barriers. We begin to build imagination into our mind about other people and it creates these walls that keep us uh, at a distance instead of connecting with one another. And then of course another one I'll mention here is a defensive attitude as you're living your life in a way that you're always defending yourself and anytime you're living in a defensive mode you're never learning, you're never growing, you're never developing in the way that God would want you to. You can never develop when you're defensive. So Here's the thing I want you to see. All these are characteristics that affect the quality of your communication and the quality of your relationship. And so out of these eight that I just mentioned to you, how many of these are the pattern of your marriage, the pattern of your family? Which of these are characteristic of how you interact with other people? And if there are some of these that are characteristic of how you act toward other people, then you should not be surprised if your relationships are going in the wrong direction rather than the right direction. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that I want an answer from you from today. We're sort of in school. We're in a classroom together. So it's okay if you answer for me. And the question is simply this. As Christian believers, where should we get our information and our understanding of how relationships should work? Come on, say it together with me. Where? The Bible. Okay, so we're Christian believers. We believe this is the Word of God. Do we not believe this is the Word of God? Amen? Okay. This is the Bible. This is our instruction manual for life. And so we've already seen the way to kill a relationship. So let's find out what the Bible says about how to bring life to a relationship. So let's walk through several scriptures together. Here we see in Proverbs 15, verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So the scripture says that in our interactions with other people, there needs to be gentleness rather than harshness. This is the instruction of the Bible. Take a look now at Proverbs 15, 4. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse or a twisted tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs chapter 12 gives us, gives us another appropriate characteristic. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings what? Healing. So there's another key word. All of us have been on the, on the receiving end of someone who cut us up with their words as though they pulled out a knife out of their pocket or a machete or a sword and they just cut us to pieces and left us bleeding. That's what a lot of words will do. But the Bible says that instead of speaking reckless words that cut people to pieces, we're to speak words that actually mend broken places that actually bring about healing. Let's now go to the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 4, and see what this scripture says. We're going to break this one apart. Do not let, what's the next word here? Any unwholesome talk. One translation says corrupt talk or corrupt communication. Words that eat away, corrupt, corrode. Do not let any corrupt or unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. So who's responsible for what comes out of your mouth? You and I are responsible for our own mouths, okay? But what's the next word here? 
only what is helpful for tearing others down. So what it says? No. For building others up according to our needs. Is that what it says? No. According to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let's look at this. This is a key verse of Scripture. This one passage of Scripture will change, can change every relationship in your life. If you make the decision not to let, to put a gate on your mouth, to not let any corrupt, unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, your mouth, if you make that decision, but only. Now, by the way, what does the word only mean? The last time I checked, the word only means only. This is the only thing that you're allowed to speak. The only words, the only kind of words, the only characteristics of the words that you're allowed to speak according to Scripture. But only what is helpful so the end result is building others up according not to your needs, but you're paying attention now to their needs according to their needs that it may actually benefit those who listen. So what this is describing is a set of characteristics of how you and I need to communicate with others. So remember this, first point today, the characteristics of your communication will determine the quality of your relationships. What does your communication look like? What does your communication with other people sound like? What are the characteristics of your communication? Because that will determine the quality of your relationships. You improve the characteristics of your communication. What will you also improve? The quality of your relationships. Let's go to the second point today. I told you there's only two points. This point will have three subpoints under it. But let's look at the second point. Read it with me. Improving relationships requires improved personal skills. So if you're going to change the characteristics of your communication so you improve the quality of your relationships, you got to know how to do it. you got to have some skill to do this because this doesn't come naturally to any of us. Now, the key word here is skills. It's one of the key words. What is a skill? A skill is a learned competency or a learned capacity. We have in this room today, in our Frederick campus, those watching online, we have all kind of different professions and occupations here. Some of you are specialists in what you do. And the reason you're a specialist in what you do or you have a particular capacity, a particular talent in something, is because you developed that skill. You went to school and you learned about how to do this. You perhaps studied under a mentor somewhere. You took training classes. And so you didn't originally have the skill, but you developed the skill based upon investment. You gain wisdom and knowledge and the application of that wisdom and knowledge, and now you have a skill. You possess a skill. Now, this is true for communication. No one is born into the world with good communication skills. No one. Put two little children in a room together, it'll just be a matter of time before they're arguing. 
and one is taking a toy from the other, and then one of them hits the other because they want the toy back. And before long, you've got this conflagration happening with two-year-olds in a room together. Why? They don't know how to communicate, so mom and dad have to teach them things like sharing and say please and thank you. And No, we don't hit whenever we're angry about, about something. And you teach them these interpersonal skills. Why? Because they come into the world as sinners, just like all of us with, with the only thing on their mind is themselves. That's why you hear words from a two-year-old like, I, 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 me, me, mine. This, this is what the world that they live in. And sadly, there are a lot of 50 and 60-year-olds that are still living in that world, okay? They've just gotten a bit more sophisticated in the way that they go about it, okay? But we haven't grown up yet. We're still living because we haven't developed the skills that we need. Now, to develop skills, the development of skills starts with knowledge, Think about in your profession. You had to get some knowledge before you developed your skills. It requires wisdom. Wisdom is the application of that knowledge. Now look at what the Bible says about wisdom and knowledge. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. Ability to apply that knowledge, that wisdom. If, that's a key word here, it's conditional. If you prize what? Wisdom. She, now she is used there as a female personification of wisdom. She, wisdom, will make you great. She will, that's a promise. She will make you great. Embrace her, embrace what? Wisdom. And she will honor you. She will place a lovely wreath on your head, she will present you with a beautiful crown. Let's stop there for a moment. This is very important. The Bible says if you'll get wisdom, it's the wisest thing that you'll ever do in your life, getting wisdom. And whatever you do, develop good judgment, the ability to apply this in every realm of life. And this includes in your relationships. So the wiser you are in your relationships, the better life is going to be. If you get wisdom, she will do some things for you. She'll make you great. She will honor you. She will place a lovely wreath on your head that speaks of the crown that was presented to athletes when they won a contest. She will present you with a beautiful crown. So we need this wisdom in our lives. Are you ready for that? I'm not going to move on until everybody says yes, okay? Are you ready for this? All right, good. That was about half of you. That's great, okay. You need the skill of self-awareness if you're going to improve your communication. It's a skill that you have to develop. It's not just something that just sort of happens to certain people. You have to develop it. Develop the ability to see you. Here's the deal. Most of us are, we have 20, 20, maybe 2015 capacity to see the problems in other people. Oh, we have no problem seeing somebody else's issue. We see it clear. Don't even need our glasses. Okay. Right? We can pick out all the issues going on with someone else. The challenge is while we are 2020 and looking at others, we are almost totally blind when it comes to seeing ourselves. It's just the truth. And so if we're going to become better in our relationships, we have to get better at seeing ourselves. We have to match this. We have to become 20-20 and seeing what's going on with us. 
Because self-awareness is the ability to clearly see, to objectively see yourself and to realize what's going on with you rather than what's going on with someone else. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but I want to bring it back to our attention again because this is vital in a relationship. And you do this through reflection and you do it through introspection. You do it through feedback in your life. You do it through the Holy Spirit helping you through self-examination, praying prayers like the psalmist prayed in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and show me my ways. If there be any wicked way in me, reveal that to me. And so you open your heart to God because all of us, here, and I've said this before, but I need to say it again, because this is where we live in our life. All of us have stuff going on inside of us. All of us have baggage that we bring into every relationship with us. And so often what's happening in our relationship is we're seeing the other person through our own baggage. That's a great place for an amen right there, okay? We're looking at the other person through our own baggage, and we're defining them through the baggage in our own life. Because we don't see our own baggage, we haven't dealt with our own issues, our own problems, and so we're forming judgments and we're, we're mind reading and we're judging other people without realizing that it's really something going on inside of us. And one of the greatest gifts that you'll ever develop and skills you'll ever develop in your life is the ability to step back for a moment and say, God, what's going on with me? And let me figure out, would you help me to understand what's really happening with me? Let me see me so that as, as I see me, I can take me to you and you can work on me so that I can be the better person because I can't control you, the other person, but I can work on me. And if I'll let you work on me, then I can bring something better. I can at least offload the baggage of my life. Let me tell you, Jesus wants to free you from your baggage. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> but he can't free you from your baggage if you are blind to it. I'm going to give you a verse of scripture, and initially when I read this verse, you're going to say, what does that have to do with self-awareness? I'm going to show you what it has to do with self-awareness. Here it is. Proverbs 29, 22. An angry person starts fights. Say it with me. An angry person starts fights. A hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sins. Now, there's a lot here that we could talk about. I'm just going to focus on the first part of this for today. What does an angry person do? Why do they start fights? It's not a trick question, okay? Because they are an angry person, okay? That's all I want you to see right there. They start fights not because they love fights. They start fights because they have something in them that they carry around with them everywhere they go. And if you carry anger around inside of you, don't be surprised if you're creating fights all the time. Because it's not about the other person. It's about what you're carrying around inside of you. And so to free you from all the contention and arguments and fighting that often goes on in relationships, where do you start? You don't start with the other person. You start with cleaning out the anger where? In your own heart. Because if you're no longer an angry person it's less likely that you're going to be starting as many fights around you. And so it all begins with what's going on inside of you and me. So self-awareness is, is something that not very many people talk about, but it's a vital part of us growing in our relationship skills. And it's something you never fully arrive at. You have to pursue this for your entire life. 
because not only do you need to offload baggage, but here's the problem. While you're offloading baggage, because we live in a broken world, you're accumulating baggage at the same time, okay? Because you're dealing with people and you're dealing with stuff, so you're trying to offload stuff, and then you got other bags that are starting to attach themselves to you, and so it's never, you never cease this process. It's an ongoing process in your life, but it's vital to relationships. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing.